Welcome to the Dead Author Society. Frank Herbert, February 11th, 1986. Rest in peace. Limits of survival are set by climate. Those long drifts of change which a generation may fail to notice. And it is the extremes of climate which set the pattern. Lonely, finite humans may observe climatic provinces, fluctuations of annual weather, and occasionally may observe such things as, this is a colder year than I have ever known. Such things are sensible, but humans are seldom alerted to the shifting average through a great span of years. And it is precisely in this alerting that humans learn how to survive on any planet. They must learn climate. Arrakis, the transformation. After Hark All Da, Alia sat cross-legged on her bed, trying to compose herself by reciting the litany against fear. A chuckling derision echoed in her skull to block every effort. She could hear the voice. It controlled her ears, her mind. What nonsense is this? What have you to fear? The muscles of her calves twitched as her feet tried to make running motions. There was nowhere to run. She wore only a golden gown of the sheerest pallian silk, and it revealed the plumpness which had begun to bulge her body. The hour of assassins had just passed. Dawn was near. Reports covering the past three months lay before her on the red coverlet. She could hear the humming of the air conditioner, and a small breeze stirred the labels on the chic of wire spools. AIDS had awakened her fearfully, two hours earlier, bringing news of the latest outrage, and Alia had called for the report spools, seeking an intelligible pattern. She gave up on the litany. These attacks had to be the work of rebels, obviously. More and more of them turned against Maudib's religion. And what's wrong with that? The derisive voice asked within her. Alia shook her head savagely. Memory had failed her. She'd been a fool to trust such dangerous double instrument. Her aides whispered that Stilgar was to blame, that he was a secret rebel. And what had become of Halleck? Gone to ground among his smuggler friends, possibly. She picked up one of the report spools, Emuries. The man was hysterical. That was the only possible explanation. Otherwise, she'd have to believe in miracles. No human, let alone a child, even a child such as Leto, leap from the butte at Shulok and survived to flee across the desert in leaps that took him from Doomcrest to Doomcrest. 
Alia felt the coldness of the Shiga wire under her hand. Where was Leto then? Nima refused to believe him other than dead. The truthsayer had confirmed her story, Leto slain by a Laza tiger. Then who was the child reported by Namri and Marie's? <sighs> she shuddered. Forty quanets had been breached, their waters loosed into the sand. The loyal Fremen and even the rebels, superstitious louts, all. Her reports were flooded with stories of mysterious occurrences. Sand trout leaped into quanets and shattered to become hosts of small replicas. Worms deliberately drowned themselves. Blood dripped from second moon and fell to Arrakis, where it stirred up great storms. The storm frequency was increasing. She thought of Duncan, incommunicado at Tabur, fretting under the restraint she'd exacted from Stilger. He and Aurelian talked of little else than the real meaning behind these omens. Fools! Even her spies betrayed the influence of these outrageous stories. Why did Ganima insist on her story of the Laza Tiger? Alia sighed. Only one of the reports on the Shiga wire spools reassured her. Radin had sent a contingent of his household guard to help you in troubles and to prepare the way for the official rite of betrothal. Alia smiled to herself and shared the chuckle which rumbled her soul. <laughs> that plan at least remained intact. Logical explanations be found to dispel all of this other superstitious nonsense. Meanwhile, she'd used Faradin's men to help close down Shulok and to arrest the known dissidents, especially among the Nabs. She debated moving against Dilker, but the inner voice cautioned against this. Not yet. My mother and the sisterhood still have some plan of their own, Alia whispered. Why is she training for Radin? Perhaps she excites her, the old baron said. Not that cold one. You're not thinking of asking for Radin to return her. I know the dangers in that. Good. Meanwhile... That young aide Zia recently brought in. I believe his name's Agarvis. Where Agarvis? If you'd invite him here tonight. No! Alia. It's almost dawn, you insatiable old fool. There's a military council meeting this morning. The priests will have. Don't trust them, darling Alia. Of course not. Very well. Now, this Boeragavis. I said no. The old baron remained silent within her, but she began to feel a headache. Slow pain crept upward from her left cheek to her skull. 
once he'd sent her raging down the corridors with this trick. Now, she resolved to resist him. If you persist, I'll take a sedative, she said. He could see she meant it. The headache began to recede. Very well. Petulant. Another time, then. Another time, she agreed. Thou didst divide the sand by thy strength. Thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the desert, yea. I behold thee as a beast coming up from the dunes. Thou hast the two horns of the lamb. Thou speakest as the dragon. Revised Orange Catholic Bible. Aaron 11.4 It was the immutable prophecy. The threads become rope. The thing Leto now seemed to have known all of his life. He looked out across the evening shadows on the town's roof. One hundred and seventy kilometers due north lay Old Gap, a deep and twisting crevasse through the shield wall by which the first Fremen had migrated into the desert. No doubts remained in Leto. He knew why he stood there alone in the desert yet filled with a sense that he owned this entire land, that it must do his bidding. He felt the cord which connected him with all of humankind, and that profound need for a universe of experiences which made logical sense, a universe of recognizable regularities within its perpetual changes. I know this universe. The worm which had brought him here had come to the stamping of his foot and, rising up in front of him, had stopped like an obedient beast. He'd leaped atop it and, with only his membrane-amplified hands, had exposed the leading lip of the worm's rings to keep it on the surface. The worm had exhausted itself in the night-long dash northward, its silicone-sulfur internal factory had worked at capacity, exhaling lavish gusts of oxygen which a flowing wind had sent in enveloping eddies around Lido. At times, the warm gusts had made him dizzy, filled his mind with strange perceptions. The reflexive and circular subjectivity of his visions turned inward upon his ancestry, forcing him to relive portions of his tyrannic past, then comparing those portions with his changing self. Already, he could feel how far he drifted from something recognizably human. Seduced by the spice, which he gulped from every trace he found. The membrane which covered him no longer was sand-trapped, just as he was no longer human. Cilia crept into his flesh, forming a new creature which would seek its own metamorphosis in the eons ahead. You saw this, father, 
rejected it. He thought it was a thing too terrible to face. Leto knew what was believed of his father and why. Maudib died of prescience, but Paul Atreides had passed from the universe of reality into the Alam al-Mital while still alive, fleeing from this thing which his son had dared. Now, there was only the preacher. Leto squatted on the sand and kept his attention northward. The worm would come from that direction, and on its back would ride two people, a young feminine and a blind man. A flight of pallid bats passed over Leto's head, bending their course southeast. There were random specks in the darkening sky, and an algebra Fremen eye could mark their back course to learn where shelter lay that way. The preacher would avoid that shelter, though. His destination was Shulok, where no wild bats were permitted lest they guide strangers to a secret place. The worm appeared first as a dark movement between the desert and the northern sky. Matar, the rain of sand dropped from high altitudes by a dying storm wind, obscured the view for a few minutes. Then it returned clearer and closer. The cold line at the base of the dune where Leto crouched began to reduce its nightly moisture. He tasted the fragile dampness in his nostrils, adjusted the bubble cap of the membrane over his mouth, there no longer was any need for him to find soaks and sip wells. From his mother's genes, he had that longer, larger feminine large intestine to take back water from everything which came its way. The living still suit grasped and retained every bit of moisture it encountered. And even while he sat here, the membrane which touched sand extruded pseudopod cilia hunt for bits of energy which it could store. Leto studied the approaching worm. He knew the youthful guide had seen him by this time, noting the spot atop the dune. The worm rider would discern no principle in this object, seen from a distance, but that was a problem Fremen had learned how to handle. Any unknown object was dangerous. The young guide's reactions would be quite unpredictable, even without the vision. True to that prediction, the worm's course shifted slightly and aimed directly at Leto. Giant worms were a weapon which Fremen had employed many times. Worms had helped beat Shaddam at Arakin. This worm, however, failed to do its rider's bidding. It came to a halt ten meters away, and no manner of goading would send it across another grain of sand. Leto arose, feeling the cilia snap back into the membrane behind him. He freed his mouth and called out, Aklan, Wasaklan. Welcome, twice welcome. 
The blind man stood behind his guide atop the worm, one hand on the youth's shoulder. The man held his face high, nose pointed over Leto's head, as though trying to sniff out this interruption. Sunset painted orange on his forehead. Who is that? The blind man asked, shaking his guide's shoulder. Why we stopped? His voice was nasal through the still-suit plugs. The youth stared fearfully down at Leto, said, It is only someone alone in the desert. A child by his looks. I tried to send the worm over him, but the worm won't go. Why didn't you say? The blind man demanded. I thought it was only someone alone in the desert. The youth protested. But it's a demon. Spoken like a true son of Jakarutu. Leto said. And you, sire, you were the preacher? I am that one. Yes. And there was fear in the preacher's voice. Because at last... He had met his own past. This is no garden, Leto said, but you are welcome to share this place with me tonight. Who are you? The preacher demanded. How have you stopped our worm? There was an ominous tone of recognition in the preacher's voice. Now he called up the memories of this alternate vision, knowing he could read and end here. It's a demon, the young guy protested. We must flee this place or our soul. Silence, the preacher roared. I am Leto Atreides, Leto said. Your arm stopped because I commanded it. The preacher stood in frozen silence. Come, father, Leto said. Alight and spend the night with me. I'll give you sweet syrup to sip. I see you've frim kits with food and water jars. We'll share our riches here upon the sand. Leto's yet a child. The preacher protested. And they say he's dead of Carino treachery. There's no childhood in your voice. You know me, sire. Leto said. I'm small for my age as you were. But my experience is ancient, and my voice has learned. What do you hear in the inner desert? The preacher asked. Bougie, Leto said. Nothing from nothing. It was the answer of a Zinsuni wanderer, one who acted only from a position of rest, without effort and in harmony with his surroundings. The preacher shook his guide's shoulder. Is it a child? Truly a child? Aya, the youth said, giving a fearful attention on Leto. A great shuddering sigh shook the preacher. No, he said. It is a demon in child form, the guide said. You will spend the night here, Leto said. We will do as he says, the preacher said. He released his grip on the guide 
slipped off the worm's side and slid down her ring to the sand, leaping clear when his feet touched. Turning, he said, Take the worm off and send it back into the sand. It is tired and will not bother us. The worm will not go, the youth protested. It will go, Leto said. But if you try to flee on it, I'll let it eat you. He moved to one side, out of the worm's sensory range, pointed in the direction they had come. Go that way. The youth tapped a goad against the ring behind him, wiggled a hook where it held a ring open. Slowly, the worm began to slide over the sand, turning as the youth shifted his hook down aside. The preacher, following the sound of Leto's voice, clambered up the dune slope and stood two paces away. It was done with a swift sureness, which told Leto this would be no easy contest. Here, the visions parted. Leto said, Remove your suit mask, father. The preacher obeyed, dropping the fold of his hood and withdrawing the mouth cover. Knowing his own appearance, Leto studied this face, seeing the lines of likeness as though they'd been outlined in light. The lines formed an indefinable reconciliation, a pathway of genes without sharp boundaries. There was no mistaking them. Those lines came down to Leto from the humming days, from the water-dripping days, from the miracle seas of Caledon. But now they stood at a dividing point on Arrakis as night waited to fold itself into the dunes. So, Father, Leto said, glancing to the left, where he could see the youthful guide trudging back to them, where the worm had been abandoned. Muzian, the preacher said, waving his right hand in a cutting gesture. This is no good. Coolish, Zian, Leto said, voice soft. This is all the good we may ever have. And he added, speaking in Chakbasa, the Atreides battle language. Here I am. Here I remain. We cannot forget that, Father. The preacher's shoulders sagged. He put both hands to his empty sockets in a long, unused gesture. I gave you the sight of my eyes once. And took your memories, Leto said. I know your decisions, and I've been to that place where you hid yourself. I know. The preacher lowered his hands. Will you remain? You name me for the man who put that on his coat of arms, Leto said. Je suis... She rest.
for listening to the Dead Authors Society. Be sure to follow for more content posted several days a week.